The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Welcome to episode two. Today we are going to talk about relationships. Intimate relationships. Work relationships. And relationships with your healthcare professionals. And we wonder, can you keep your disease a secret? I'm Lisa. And I'm Chantel. And this is Guts. And Glory. Why don't we start with the story of how we told our individual partners, I have Crohn's. Yes, and I have Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Oh, you're always trying to one-up me. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, how did you do it? Um, well, you know, I'm not one to keep secrets. I didn't notice that about yes, you. Yes, I, I actually shout things from the rooftops whenever I can. Yeah, I have um, to chase you off my roof yes. many times a day. Um, but with my partner, with Daryl, um, I actually told him on our second date. Uh, <laughs> I would have told him on the first date, but it was very short. We just, yeah. we just grabbed a drink and that was it. We went... Um, but yeah, on the second date, I didn't even know his last name, actually. Wait, you had a whole first date and you didn't know his last name? Yeah, we had a whole first date. Yeah, I don't need to know your last name. I was a chronic first dater. I'm not going to see you again, usually. I see. Yeah. Uh, So he made it to the second date, so he needed to know. Kudos, Daryl. Yes, kudos. Well done. So he had to know that I was, you know, sick. We were actually downtown, Mm -hmm. Toronto, Mm -hmm. and uh, we had just got Menchie's. And we were walking around the city. We were heading over to the island, actually. Oh, nice. Um, and I figured, you know what? We're eating. And uh, <laughs> the topic has been broached. Right? right. We're, we're stopped at a traffic light waiting to cross. Might as well just tell you. So I actually just started like, hey, I've got something to tell you. And he was like, sure, no problem. You know, what is it? And I'm like, so I have Crohn's disease. I'm not really sure if you know what that is, but it's chronic. And did he know? No. No idea. He had heard about it, but he didn't know. He's like, I I told him it's chronic. Uh, It doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Just letting you know, because we're heading over to the island and we're having a big snack right now. So So. things are going to... It could. You know, yeah. You you never know with Crohn's, are you going to need to have a bathroom right away, but it was important that he understood it. So what was his... How did he react to it? Um, His reaction actually right away was, oh my goodness, like, okay, so we don't need to go to the island. Like, we can stay here. Very compassionate about it. that's very sweet. And I said, I want you to make sure that if you have any questions that you ask me, please don't be, you know, ashamed to ask. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people always have questions, but on a second date, are they going to ask right away? So I just, you know, started giving him answers to the most common questions. Like, what is it? What does it mean is going to happen? You know, told him I take medications, you know, sometimes it causes bathroom issues. I go to the doctor a lot. Um, I just kind of Gave him my, you know, 30-second elevator right. speech. Yeah. Why um, Why you too should have Crohn's. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and let him know <laughs> that I it definitely doesn't control my life. You know, however, there are times when the disease does take over mm-hmm. and there's nothing I can do about it. How long till you guys endured a full-blown... You know, I was actually coming out of one when I met him. Okay. I was still... 
on my upward climb of getting better from a significantly bad flare uh, where I was hospitalized for a couple of weeks, actually. I was even down my normal weight, which I thought like, oh, I'm going to plump up. So you better get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would say it was about six months before I got really sick again. I wasn't as sick as I was before I met him, but I did have a flare that put me in the hospital for two days. And then I was ill at home for quite some time. Um, And then a couple of months after that, I was sick again, but was able to manage at home with increased medication that my doctor prescribed. Um, I truly feel though he hasn't really seen the worst. The worst. Even yet? Even yet, yeah. But you know. And how long have you been together? Two years almost. Okay. Almost two years. But again, like I like I said in the previous episode, my two worst years were, you know, between the 2012, 2014. And I really hope I never go back to that point anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, I'm glad you asked because that is a fear that I have. That um, even now of being, being together as long as we have bought a house you know, is he going to be able to handle it when I have those significant flares? Truly, I think so. You know, he loves me. And if it was, if roles were reversed, it wouldn't mean anything to me. I would work through it with him. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think about, I will tell you the story of myself and Mm -hmm. getting together, but I think about, um, I look back at the pattern of relationships I've had over my life and I think having Crohn's disease made me a very individual. Yes. Like independent. I'm very, very independent yeah. and I tend to manage on my own shit literally because yeah. I feel like, I feel like there are things that are just a part of me that, uh, you're you not, know, go- you can't, change. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to dump on anyone else. I want to manage that. I want to protect people from my disease. Yeah. In, which is why I, I actually think I was a chronic first dater because one, yeah. like you said, the shit, I don't need your shit yeah. on top of all the shit I'm dealing with. Yeah. And number two, you don't need my shit. Yeah. And I was very self-conscious of that yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, and not wanting to impede on other people's yeah. lives. Um, you deserve someone nice and normal, not yeah, me with all my yeah, baggage you don't and my need disease. This nonsense, yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, so Sam and I actually got together. Uh, I was a member of a comedy troupe in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and Sam was also a member of that comedy troupe. And our relationship, our friendship, developed on stage because our lights would come up. We'd do scenes. We'd write scenes together, and we sort of it sort of grew into this lovely friendship. And um, Full disclosure, I was married to somebody else, and <laughs> it okay, wasn't Darryl going well. and I met on Tinder. Okay. <laughs> All right. So pre-swiping left, uh, I met Sam on stage with a different kind of swiping. And uh, so we traveled a lot in a van, and mm. we would go, and it, it, like my health was, my health was up and down mm. at the time. I was living as an actor, and that causes a lot of stress. Stress, a whole topic. Um, so we would have these trips where we would get in a van and I was the only one with Crohn's and we would go on the highway and I would pray that I was going to hold it together the on these trips. Yeah. That, uh, I wasn't going to be the one who had to stop in the bathroom. And I will say that, um, it was part of th- that time in my life was a part of me discovering what a, an incredible role stress played. Because as soon as I got into doing this thing that I loved, a lot of my stress went away. So I was doing this 
comedy and I so was you traveling. you naturally start to feel better. Yeah, so I, I guess I sort of, I um, presented this air of confidence and having oh, you everything mean together. You look fine? Yeah, I looked yeah. fine because I was doing well. And while I was nervous about this, about these road trips, I would notice that I was getting better. I was feeling better all the time. So I presented as a very healthy person. So you um, didn't tell him then up front? So I didn't... It was almost like you had no need, really? No, I didn't really tell him until after our both our relationships had failed and we were... <laughs> yeah, and we were stuck with each other. Um, and then I, I told him because then when you're... You know, I even remember, like, I would stay over at his place when we were dating and if I would feel my stomach getting weird in the middle of the night, I would quietly sneak to the bathroom and try to, like hide it because I turn just, the faucet yeah, on. Yeah, turn the faucet on, turn the yeah. bathtub on. I gotta take a middle of the night bath, you know, just because depending on what I had eaten or I didn't want to Well that's an embarrassment. It's embarrassing. Yeah, absolutely. So um so eventually I I told him, you know, and uh he was very accepting about it. It was very cool. Like I mean the thing that I so find how long so have funny you guys been dating? We've been dating for six months. Before six you months. told yeah. him? Yeah. And how long have you been together now? We've been together fourteen years. Oh now. yeah. So yeah. he definitely He's fully stuck for life. Oh he's yeah. 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 He can't get away. There's no his the you know, you might have noticed the chain on his leg doesn't actually let him outside of the yard. <laughs> so it only stretches that far and then I have to come unlock it and put his invisible bracelet on so that he comes back. Um but the thing was that uh, once I told him, I felt this incredible unburdening, you know? Absolutely. Like, uh, it, it contributed to me feeling extra healthy. Yeah. So he's... Did he, he know about it? Had he had heard of He didn't know. He didn't know about it. But here's the thing. We had both been through so much at the time. Like, we had bo each gone through a divorce. We had moved all over the place. I was moving for work. I lived in Chicago for a while. I moved back to Toronto. I moved back to Chicago again. I moved back here. There was so much on the table that it, th like this problem, it just seemed like nothing yeah. to him. So you he was like, we'll deal with you that. You were both in a vulnerable place yeah. as well. And I think when you're, like I told my boyfriend much earlier, obviously, um, and I think part of that is when you're on your first couple of dates, you are in a vulnerable place. Yeah. You are afraid to say something that's going to upset somebody else. You know, you're putting on... Yeah. Uh, a show. Your not, best you. You're yeah, putting your best you This is your you best you. And, and sometimes that's a very vulnerable place to be. And sometimes um, you exaggerate the th qualities about yourself that are great. Like, yes. hey, I'm, look at me. I'm yeah, absolutely. fantastic. No problem. You wear your best clothes. Yeah. Like everything is always a show. Um, and of course, before, you know, Daryl is somebody I can see myself being with for the rest of my life, obviously. Um, and I had dated people prior to him having been diagnosed with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And I didn't tell them like I told him. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that reason was because I wasn't in a place where I accepted my disease. Yeah. It also sounds like he's very compassionate. He like is you. extremely compassionate. So on the topic of relationships, our verdict, can you, should you keep your disease a secret? Absolutely not. And you know, I've, I've had this conversation with people before and I tell them very clearly that, you know, this disease is chronic. It doesn't have a cure. It's not going away. Um, if you are meeting someone and this is the person that you're going to, you know, spend the rest of your life with, or at least the next few amounts of time, then you need to tell them and you shouldn't be ashamed about it. And if this person loves you and wants to be with you, then 
this is just something they're going to have to accept. Yeah. And I'll be honest, if they don't accept it, then they're not the person for you. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, if I echo what you say, Chantel, I would say in terms of timing, when you tell them the one piece of advice I can give is the sooner the better Absolutely. because it's, it's directly uh, proportional to the amount of stress you're going to take on afterwards. If you're keeping a secret, yeah. Your gut is going to tell you about it. Your gut is going to have a reaction to yeah. your secret, to and that you, thing. You know what I say to people as well? Like, would you want somebody to tell you something last minute in a relationship? Do you want to find something out last minute? You know, this person, I'd be very upset if I, you know, somebody kept something from me right into the moment that it was happening. Yeah. You know, why are you telling me this now? Like, did you not trust me enough to hold this information yeah. and accept you beforehand. Now, with that being said, you also need to be sensitive to the fact that, you know, this person might not know anything about your disease. Yeah. They obviously don't know what it feels like if they, unless they have the condition yourself. So it's important as well that you're as open and honest with somebody about the condition because they, you know, if they're going to spend their life with you, they are essentially taking on this disease as well in a different way. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you are just as open with them and as compassionate with them as you expect them to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of timing, you know, maybe don't whisper it when you're leaning in for that first kiss right <laughs> no, into their mouth. No, probably not. <laughs> you know, with men, she's waiting at a stoplight yeah. across the street. That's perfect. <laughs> Pick your times. Pick I figured times. if he was going to be a complete jerk about it, there yeah. was many people around who would have stood up for me, you know? Right. Um, so it was safe. It was a safe place. Bring them home, you know, dim the <laughs> lights, cover yourself in IBD pamphlets, and just let them read. Let them read. That's it. Uh. <laughs> All right. So now we're talking about work, 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 work. Should we tell it work, 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 Chantel? Um, absolutely. In my opinion, you should be disclosing this information to the people you work with, ah. to your bosses, to your union, whatever the case may be. Yeah, the skywriter um, out there. That's it. Write it in the sky. Um, now, you teach grades seven and eight. I do. And I know that you talk to your class. You use it as an opportunity to educate your Absolutely. class about Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. So was it simply because you wanted to explain why you were leaving the room? What what was your um, yeah, good, thought process yeah, there? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, I disclosed my information to the principals. Uh, in the first staff meeting, I let all the staff know as well um, that I have this condition. Um, the, the union for my teacher board is well aware of my condition. The board I work for, well aware of my condition. Um, and you know, I do use it. I tell my students as well. Um, and I say this to adults. I work with kids every single day. I'm surrounded by children seven, eight hours a day. Sometimes, you know, your job means you work with adults seven yeah. or eight hours a day, but these are the people that I'm around all the time and they have a right and they should know, um, you know, what's wrong with their teacher. Mm -hmm. Why would their teacher be looking this way or feeling this way? And it's, for me, it's not so much a bathroom issue right now because, you know, um, that's not where my flair is taking me at this current time. Um, I'm more struggling with, you know, inflammation of my joints. Um, I have a lot of appointments for infusions, for iron and injections of B12. And sometimes I go to work with an IV in order to keep myself hydrated because I'm unable to drink due to ulcers in my esophagus or whatever the case may be. Um, so, 
you know, the next generation, in my opinion, I believe that the kids growing up these days, despite what we may see on the media, are really going to change this world. Oh, yeah. Um, and the only way that they're going to change this world is that they're educated. Um, so I use, when I tell people about my disease, I don't tell them in terms of to give them a list of all the symptoms and what to expect that could go wrong with me at work. I tell them about my disease and then I educate them on what it means to have this disease. So that they're not embarrassed to ask questions so that they can understand. For example, if we have a class party and kids bring in food from home and I can't eat some of it, yes, you know, so that they're not offended. I just say very, you know, calmly guys, you know, I told you I have Crohn's and colitis. Unfortunately, I'm unable to eat this food. I think it's lovely that you brought it in. It smells delicious. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing how compassionate 13 year olds can really be. That's very, very comforting. It is. Because, you know, we often hear about that age group being bullies and, yeah. you know, and I, I do, I think that building empathy in that, uh, in the schools is super important, yeah. you know? So I think that's really great that you're, you know, you're able to be there confident and you're also able to educate them in that way mm -hmm. about an invisible disease. And in terms of my principal and stuff, knowing like, you know, that's my boss. Yeah. And if I'm not well, um, or, you know, I need accommodations, I need to keep something in the fridge in the staff room, or, you know, the other day students had to help me carry some of the things to my car because my joints were really swollen right. and I was having a hard time moving, you know, there's no need in keeping that a secret. The government very clearly, you know, recognizes having Crohn's and ulcerative colitis as a disability. It might not be a, a physical disability in which you can see, yeah. but it in fact is recognized as a disability. So that's a, let's talk about that for a second, because I, I'm not sure where people are listening to this podcast, but we are uh, in recording it here in Ontario. And in Ontario, the laws are very clear around yes. the support you have as a patient Absolutely. in the workplace with Crohn's or yes. ulcerative colitis. Even non-unionized um, industries mm -hmm. where you don't have a union that essentially protects the work, the, the workers' rights, um, you are protected in Ontario um, regardless of union or not. Um, and I think that's something that some people don't know. And I think this is what leads to the fear of people saying, absolutely not. If I disclose this information to my boss, I'm going to lose my job right. or they're going to find a way to weed me out. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine that happening, but if it does, then you're protected. Yeah. You are completely protected by the laws here, especially in Ontario. Super important. I think for people to know, because we do know that Crohn's and we do know that IBD and uh, ulcerative colitis are all, if not caused by, they are definitely triggered by stress. Absolutely. And the stress around your employment is a huge one for people. Mm -hmm. So it is very important if you are listening to this. In Ontario, you need to know you are protected. You cannot lose your job for divulging that you have IBD. Mm -hmm. um, there are uh, opportunities for you to um, to step out of work and still be Absolutely. Covered. Well, the Accessibility Act, you know, if you were in a wheelchair, for example, it right. is law that there are ramps and other, you know, wide doors and hallways and no obstructions for you to move around. So because this is recognized in Ontario as a disability, that's included in the Accessibility Act. So if that means that someone needs to relieve you, you need more frequent breaks to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Or if that means, you know, sometimes you need to have a meeting with your boss and say, right now I'm extremely stressed. Can you please help me break up 
this workload to make it more manageable for me, then that is 100% within your right here. Right. So wherever you are listening to this, Chantel, how would you recommend finding out what your rights are? I mean, is there a chapter? Uh, can you call your local... Um, Yes, yeah, so Crohn's and Colitis Canada is a great organization working nationally in this country, right. and they have offices and uh, chapters in over 60 cities across the country. Okay. They are a great place to start. They are an NGO organization, and they specifically help with things like that. They've got a section on their website about working that's linked to the province you are currently in. Okay. So it's a def, if, and if you're outside of Canada, um, definitely there is that, you know, the Ministry of Labor, the Ministry of Health, those are the first groups of people that you want to reach out to or any other Crohn's and colitis organization you have in your country. Yeah, if you are on, if you are in, in listening to this in the United States or in any other country, go online. There are um, there are organizations that will help you find out your rights about work, but yeah, you need to know that you have them. Yeah, there's Crohn's and Colitis UK, there's Crohn's and Colitis USA, there's, you know, a ton of organizations there and that's actually one of the biggest focuses that they do. Um, because a lot of these organizations are specifically working with pushing things to the government, you know, pushing medications, pushing, you know, drug plans, pushing all of these things to the government, pushing to recognize it as a disability yeah. and not as just some sickness. Right. Um, but definitely that's the first place I would say that you need to reach out and don't be afraid to look and don't be afraid to research and ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. talk about the most important relationship in the world yes the relationship you have maybe not the most but one of the most with your healthcare provider yes or yes and when we talk about healthcare providers you know specifically we're going to speak today about your various types of doctors uh the nurses you will come in contact with in your journey with ibd as well as your pharmacist. And I think that is really interesting because that's something people would never even consider. Yeah. And my pharmacist is a saint. If I didn't have him, you know, I would probably have more difficulties than I have right now. He has definitely red flagged a lot of things for me and he has educated me in amazing ways. Okay. So let's talk about that for uh, a second. Talk to me about a, a pharmacist a situation you've had where uh, one medicine has not uh, agreed with another one that you're taking. Is a pharmacist, you said you had a pharmacist who, who called you over and yeah. said... You can't take these two things together. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going back to doctors, for example, you need to be comfortable with your gastroenterologist, yeah. but you also need to have a family practitioner, your general, you know, your GP, who is also, you know, somewhat knowledgeable in the IBD world and the medications that you take when you have IBD. Mm -hmm. uh, because, for example, unfortunately, my family doctor had passed. Um, and I just went to a walk-in clinic. Um, for, so many people do that. Right. When you're I had like strep throat. Flaring and mm -hmm. you, it's... So I, Sunday night, what am I going to do? Yeah. So I didn't have a family doctor at that point. I was still searching for one. I uh, went to a walk-in clinic. They prescribed me a medication to help with, you know, my strep throat. I think it was that I had, 
I brought it to the pharmacy, you know, dropped off my prescription, went back and picked it up a couple hours later. Right away, the pharmacist called me over and was like, Chantal, you cannot take this medication with the medications that you're taking with IBD. You can't take this medication and have IBD, period. Um, you know, and that's where you need to make sure that your relationship with your pharmacist is a strong one. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, we're big on educating yourself. That's a big thing, you know, um, I believe in, I know you do as well, Lisa, that you need to make sure that you are educated in this and you need to ask questions. So sometimes that means you need to ask your pharmacist a question when you pick up a medication. You know, can I take this medication? What are the side effects of this medication? Very important to know the side effects. Please note that I'm taking this medication in addition to this one. What's going to happen when I take this one? Is this going to be okay? Yeah. You know, don't expect that everyone is going to do all this work for you. Definitely ask those questions. When you ask those questions, it starts to bridge the gap between the relationship that you have with your pharmacist and yourself. When that relationship grows, maybe you don't have to ask as many of those questions anymore because they're already looking out for you. Yeah. If you are uh, if you are somebody who takes a lot of medications mm-hmm. and you're on some uh, for a while and then others for a while or you're combining them, I don't think it's a bad idea to take a little, make a little um, medication diary. Absolutely. So you just jot down when you go to the pharmacy and you pick up your medication, you take your little three ring spiral notebook with you and just jot down the medication, a couple of short term side effects, a couple of long term side effects, because you will be popping in and out of if you are, you know, trying one thing and then trying something else, it's possible to forget some of the mm-hmm. uh, the combined effects of the medication that you're taking. Your pharmacist is your sort of your frontline guy. Frontline, that's the one who's actually giving you the medication. I know, for example, Shoppers Drug Mart will give you the little slip of lists of all the medications yeah. and any other pharmacy that you get your prescriptions from, you can ask them to print out the list of your medications that you've been taking in the last year, mm-hmm. two years, a month, whatever the case may be. Yeah, very important. One thing that you know is difficult for people is your healthcare providers, your pharmacists, these people can change over time, but you have the disease. It's you are the patient. That's right. You are you need to inform yourself. You need to be as educated as you possibly yeah. can on every single treatment that you are receiving because they do, some of them do have short-term side effects. Some of them have long-term side effects. Some of them that you take when you're in your 20s, the side effects aren't showing up until you're in your 40s. So right. you need to know what's going on. And even if you're somebody with IBD who's not on medication right now, great if that you know if you're at yeah. that point. Thank but you, there that's are, me, that's yes, me. But yes. then there are things that you know, As somebody with IBD, whether you're in remission or not, there are things that you shouldn't be taking, period. Absolutely. And you need to know that. Your pharmacist needs to know that. And your doctors need to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what brings us into the relationship with your doctors. Yes. Relationship with doctors. Uh, I was telling you, Chantel, that I had, um, you know, I was diagnosed when I was quite young. So my first doctor uh, was... uh, not exactly in a center where they knew a lot. I mean, it was in the 70s, so they didn't know that much about... Different uh, time. Yeah, different time. Yeah. But also, it was a small town, so mm-hmm. there wasn't, you know, there weren't a ton of people like me there dealing with it. But when I moved to Toronto, I was sent to a doctor who was a very, you know, very straight-laced <laughs> Irish doctor in a teaching hospital. Basically, he was a disease scientist and he ran through questions with me like they were items on a checklist. I was 19 years old. I was um, 
you know, I'm very touchy-feely, I'm very vulnerable, and it, it wasn't it's clicking emotional. with me. It was very emotional, and I found him very robotic in his approach. So I, and he prescribed all the things, that's another thing, he prescribed all the treatments that I didn't like, like prednisone, and he wanted to put me on this massive dose of prednisone for a flare-up, and I just couldn't take it. I was feeling like, new doctor, new city, this is too much. Um, so I actually left him for a time and went looking for a doctor who I felt had a closer philo uh, philosophy to mine mm -hmm. about healthcare. And that really didn't work out because I wound up, I mean, I'm not saying that this happens 100% of the time. You should absolutely get a second opinion. You should absolutely get a second opinion. If I haven't said that enough, you should absolutely get a second opinion. Yeah. But I went to another doctor and that was probably the worst experience of my life. I wound up being bullied by a doctor when I didn't take her advice mm. about what, uh, it was, it was a, it was terrible. It actually set me back a little bit in terms of my disease because she had a real sense of, you've gone to the other guy, now you've come to me, and you're not gonna take anybody's advice, you know? You can't be helped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wound up going back, after looking around a little bit, I wound up going back to my original doctor. Thank goodness he took me back. Not my original doctor from my small First, town, but yeah. the one, the Irish scientist. And, uh, he was very good about it and he and I talked to him. I went in and said, this is what, what I find uh, difficult about your approach. This is where I need a little bit more help. And I was very vulnerable doing this, but I decided that if I was gonna go with this guy, I was gonna need him to meet me halfway. And did he receive that well? And he absolutely did. And mm -hmm. I would say that I credit that doctor with getting through some of the worst times in my life. And I always felt that he was there for me. I always felt like he, you know, he appreciated that I had reached out and told him. He supported you. He supported me, and he actually confessed that he'd heard that a couple of times before, and that was something that he that was he working on. That he was a on. bit robotic? Yeah, so my <laughs> perception was that this is, an, uh, this is something that I can't change, but in reality, by empowering myself to come forward and tell him what I needed, it made it better for both of us. But you know what? It was important that you went for a second opinion as well. Yes. Because if you didn't go for that second opinion, you might not have been as open as you were to put yourself in that vulnerable position to say that to the doctor. Yes. Um, I've had Crohn's and colitis for nine years, um, and I am currently on my third gastroenterologist, and I have no regrets for that. My first... Um, doctor, the doctor who diagnosed me was definitely um, more than robotic, you know, write it on a piece of paper, Google it. My second gastroenterologist was phenomenal, just phenomenal. I was so comfortable with her on so many different levels. She was very compassionate and very understanding. And it was really something that was comforting to me to go and see her. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't afraid. Um, I only have a third gastroenterologist now is, uh, my disease got to a point, um, it got very aggressive and she didn't have the experience with IBD at that level of aggression. She took it upon herself to say that to me openly, that she doesn't have experience in this area, um, that the disease has progressed much more than she knows about. And she is going to send me to someone who she felt um, would be able to better treat my disease in this current condition that it's in. And how did that feel? Um, you know, of course I was so sad 
you yeah. know, so that I was leaving her, but I am so grateful that she did that. Um, you know, and we still keep in touch now. And I know that if I couldn't see my new gastroenterologist quick enough, I could definitely go and see her. Um, but definitely it is super important. As you said, you need to get a second opinion. Um, always never be afraid to ask questions. This mm -hmm. is the biggest thing, you know, 100% you need to educate yourself about the disease that you now have. Yeah. Educating yourself means asking questions to your team of healthcare professionals, your nurses, your pharmacists, your doctors, your GPs, all of those people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It means educating yourself by reaching out to organizations in your area that give you non-biased information about what it just means to be an IBD warrior. Absolutely. Um, and it also means making, you know, if that means you're reading things online, that's great. Always remember that the internet take things with a grain of salt yeah please yes you know um reach out to you you know your hospitals that you attend reach out to the organizations in your area and ask them where are your peer support groups mm -hmm. go and find at least one other person who has Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis or any form of IBD and talk to them whether they're a stranger or not as soon as you sit down with someone who is like you mm -hmm. it really opens up the gates and you become more comfortable with yourself the more comfortable that you are with yourself the more open you're going to be to being educated about what's moving what's happening to you the more open you're going to be to questioning sometimes what your doctors are saying yeah questioning what medications they're telling you to take questioning you know the types of foods they're telling you to take questioning how they're telling you to live your life if you're somebody for example who wants to experiment with alternative ways um, of helping IBD whether that's through food or you know meditation or any of those things then you need to make sure that the doctor you are dealing with is comfortable yes. and is open to you experimenting with these other possibilities. Yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent point. You don't want a doctor rolling their eyes at your uh, pathetic attempts to deal with your disease on yeah. your own. I mean, this this is your disease. You're the owner. You're the proud owner of this disease. Mm -hmm. So you get to treat it in any way you see fit, whatever works for your life. Your doctor is there to assist you. And but the, here's the here's the reality of it. When you find the doctor that works for you mm -hmm. and that doctor prescribes treatment, you have to, I, I feel anyway, you have to go for it with your, you know, you have to sink your heart into believing that that is your treatment. Right. So that's why it's super important to find the one that's right for you. Yeah, if you're because comfortable if the, with your doctor, then when they tell you something, you take that as okay. You move into that next stage of your life positive. Yeah. And also in the mind that if it doesn't work, that's okay. Yeah. You've got your team of healthcare professionals that are going to back you up yeah. and there's a step two. And you've done your research so absolutely. you know what to expect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, that's really important. And the same thing with your nurses as well. You know, if you have an ostomy bag, um, if you need to go for an infusions of medications or nutrients, the nurse that you're going to deal with, the nurses that you have in the hospital, you need to be comfortable with those nurses as well mm -hmm. because they're the ones administering, you know, your IV. You know, they're the ones who are coming in to help you out of bed in the morning. Yep. You know, those are the people who are doing those things for you. And that person needs to be someone you're comfortable with. Yeah, I think when we we start talking about boiling it down to nurses. I think this is a whole subcategory to talk about right here because these are these are people who are essentially these are the people who are caring for you at your worst. Absolutely. And I, I remember that my mom was always um, 
an expert when I was going through this uh, journey with this disease at a young age. My mom was such an expert at dealing with nurses and uh, like the support staff around the doctor because she knew these were the real people doing the the lift work, right? The and heavy they're work. often the ones that go unappreciated yes. in our society. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Yes. It's... I, this is a philosophy that I have about going into the world of healthcare, and it is to show as much gratitude to these people as possible because it it really does come back to you when they've you, dedicated their life, yeah, in order to ensure that you know you and the rest of the population stay healthy. Yeah, and there's something so magical about developing that personal relationship with a healthcare yeah. provider that goes beyond the disease and the and the um the disease and the the medications and all the just to just to a fundamental personal level and i feel like when it comes to your nurses and it comes to your and the 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 people who um care for you schedule your doctor's appointments yeah. too yeah. these are people that you really need to forge a personal relationship with show them your gratitude know who they are because they are they are the gatekeepers right yeah. and, like, and ask them questions and if yeah. they don't know the answer then they're going to find it for you or yeah. they should i think in short with all of these people the most important the most important rule of thumb to take with you is that you need to educate yourself you need to ask questions mm -hmm. and not be afraid to get second third Fourth opinions, if need be. Be a VIP. Yes. A very informed patient. That's it. A very informed patient. So that is our episode on relationships. And in terms of intimate relationships and work relationships, our advice, our recommendation is that you tell, tell, tell. Because this is an invisible disease. And the only way for you to gain some level of comfort is to have some amount of control over, over Absolutely. It. And that starts with being open. Yeah. And in terms of dealing with your healthcare professionals, our advice for sure is to always ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask so many questions that you almost forget answers. Um, don't be afraid to get a second opinion and truly educate yourself on what this disease is. Um, you don't want the disease to have you. Remember, you have the disease. That's right. So until next time, I'm Chantel. I'm Lisa. Uh, peace out, everyone. Strength and positive thoughts.